What is up, my friends? It is another weekend episode of the Casey's Corner Podcast here. I'm reporting live from underneath my carport here at the house, getting a little bit of this nice May weather. Uh, We have got a jam-packed show coming your way today. We've got um, local MMA fighter Macy Bro. Uh, I'm actually recording this on a Saturday afternoon. All of the calling guests today I spoke to actually on Friday night. So we're going to have a conversation, taped conversation with Macy from yesterday. Um, Yesterday being day one of phase one of the rebuilding plan for the federal government. So it was the first day that Macy was able to get back from being in the gym. She was very excited about that. She'll tell us about that as well as some things that she has planned going forward in her career as a mixed martial artist and as an aspiring professional boxer. Macy's going to turn pro here in the next couple of weeks. So we look forward to following her up the ladder. She's going to do tremendous things. Great person and a great fighter. And then also we have competitive eater Adrian Morgan of Major League Eating. Um, I spoke to Adrian last night. Um, You guys would not believe the things that go into competitive eating. It's more than just stuffing hot dogs down your gullet. Adrian is very open about the training and the different things that go into being a competitive eater. So we talked to him about all those things and we got a little bit of intel and a little bit of insight into some of the plans that Major League Eating may be looking forward to doing um, in terms of getting the hot dog eating competition on July the 4th underway. So we're going to have Macy Bro in the next segment. We're going to have Adrian Morgan in the third segment. But first we're going to lead off with a COVID-19 update for the state of Louisiana. And then, of course, we're going to wrap up our show with a sports update, and we're going to take a Q&A for both COVID-19 and also for the world of sports. So we entered phase one yesterday. As again, this is being recorded on Saturday afternoon. The episode is going to post actually today. Um, Phase one started yesterday. Everybody was eager and enthusiastic and excited about getting back to work and being able to go and sit down and dine and go into all these different restaurants and everything and, and you know go to the mall and um, all the places that we missed out on most of them by and large are back open there are still some exceptions but those will be coming in future phases and i know people were excited and enthusiastic and um but on the other foot there are people that are legitimately worried and people that are concerned and people that are thinking that you know hey we might not do so well and we might revert back to old ways and have to close down again and um the only words I could say to, I guess, uh, caution someone against having that line of thinking is the people who are being uh, sick or the people who are getting sick from this and the people who are contracting this and having the most problems are the folks that are at the most extreme and highest risk to contract and catch anything. And if we could continue to shut this country down and we continue to have people out of work and we continue to, you know, make people lose their jobs at alarming rates and our unemployment right now is going through the roof, If we continue to hurt the working class people, the 30 through 50 year old people who are not at a great risk to get seriously sick from this virus, but who are at great risk to see huge financial losses if we continue to shut down, we're going to see crime go up. We're going to see suicides go up. More people are going to be on medications, which means, you know, medical insurances are going to go up and it's going to be ripple effects like you wouldn't believe. So I do think that we're doing the right thing and at least making the attempt. We have the opportunity to revert back if we need to, but I think that we've got to at least make the attempt to go forward. So I was so happy to see Governor Edwards make that decision and so happy for us to get to that Friday deadline and and get things rolling again. And I do believe 
in the plan and i do believe ultimately in the state of louisiana i think that our people are stronger than anywhere else in the country and i think that's why our curve looks the way that it does it's more flat than most places around the country have been i believe in our people i believe in the plan and i think that we're going to get this done so today's COVID-19 update, there are now 34,117 cases of reported uh, coronavirus in Louisiana. 2,413 people have died of coronavirus in Louisiana. Um, 22,608 have recovered of coronavirus. Those numbers are from last Sunday, so they're now a week old. We would imagine that those numbers are closer to 25, 26,000 people now who have recovered just based on the trends and the, the data that we usually see week by week there. One thing to note, the state has made its promise and its commitment to test 200,000 people a month. Um, they're doing it. Uh, I was I was skeptical whether or not they could do it. They're doing it. Um, they have been testing seven, eight, nine thousand people a day. Um, they're on pace to meet that two hundred thousand tests per month quota. Uh, they're doing a good job and ramping things up. And and everybody who's been needing a test has been getting one. And then certain other people who are just getting tests as a precaution are now getting them as well. They're testing the heck out of people. They've really ramped things up. One interesting thing to note, and this is the most celebratory thing I could give you in this update. I don't mean to, you know, a lot of times people are critical and, and, and say, you know, that I shouldn't be saying that something is good news while people are suffering or people are dying. But there's no doubt. Okay, we're sitting here. It's May the 16th. On April the 16th, which was exactly one month ago, exactly 30 days ago, y'all, we had 1,914 patients hospitalized with COVID-19 ailments in Louisiana, and we had 396 people who were on ventilators, okay? That was one month ago. That's a pretty grim outlook. Almost 2,000 people hospitalized, almost 4,000 people who were on ventilators. Flash forward now one month into the present. We have 1,028 people hospitalized with COVID ailments and 123 people who are on ventilators. So our hospitalized number has been almost cut in half. Our ventilator number has been cut almost 80% in one month. That is the reason why I stress to you guys all of the time when we're looking to cancel um, events that are six months from now, when we're looking to cancel events that are a year from now or three months from now, four months from now, I always urge us to be cautious because we don't have a history with this. We don't know what the curve is going to look like tomorrow, much less a couple of days into the future. In one month, in 30 days, we have gone from 1,914 hospitalized patients and 396 patients on ventilators down to 1,028 patients hospitalized and 123 patients on ventilators. Kudos to the state of Louisiana, the people who have followed these orders, Kudos to the people in the medical profession. I'm going to get emotional even talking about this. The nurses, the doctors, the people who are risking their lives every single day to keep us safe. To have this much progress, y'all, in one month makes me more proud to be a resident of Louisiana than almost any other thing that I've ever seen in my lifetime. The strength and resiliency of our people is absolutely incredible. I'm so proud of our state. I'm so proud of the work that we've done. Now we've got to keep things moving in the right direction. Got to keep that curve staying flattened while also getting our businesses open. In Lafouche Parish, we have 738 COVID cases total. Those are not active cases. That's total number of cases. And 63 people have died. I have been giving you guys a rundown of our hospital system, so I'm going to do that again, and then we'll get to your questions. Um, 
In region three, we have 24 patients on ventilators, 99 ventilators are available. We have 60 ICU beds in use, 39 are available. Remember in the last show, I said, hey, look, our ICU beds have been kind of trending in the wrong direction. They've kind of leveled back out and are now trending back in the right direction. So that's tremendous to see. And our total beds available in region three, we have 414 beds in use, 315 are available. And whenever I give you these numbers, whenever I give you these bed numbers, and whenever I give you these ICU numbers, those are not COVID hospitalizations or ICU you know, patients. Those are everyone that's in the system. So if I go to the hospital and I, I give birth to a child prematurely, and the child needs to be in the ICU for a couple of days, they're gonna count in that number. If I have a heart attack and you know I, I need to go to the hospital and I'm in the ICU for a few days, I'm gonna count in that number. So these numbers are not COVID specific, they're all patient specific. So that's the reason why we've not seen a drastic reduction in the number of total hospital beds that are available because patients do need the hospital, whether you're going to get your tonsils out, whatever it may be, people need to use the hospitals. So we've seen consistency there in that number of being about 400 beds in use, about 300 beds available. So I'm gonna to get to your COVID questions here in the first segment, then we'll wrap up, catch a break, then we'll go to Macy, then we'll go to Adrian, then we'll go to the sports update. Thanks to everybody for sending these COVID questions. If you have a COVID question for me, send it to my email, justclarkcasey at gmail.com, or follow me on any of my social media. Just find me on Facebook, Casey Justclare, or on Twitter, Casey underscore Justclare, if you got any questions. First question is a good one, and it's one that I think is worth touching on, and it is this. It is, do my employees count towards my 25% fire marshal number outlined in phase one? Unfortunately, the answer to that is yes. So if the fire marshal says that you could have 40 people in your business and you could and you hire a staff of 15, then guess what? Your number of people that could actually be in your building are 40 minus 15 or 25 customers. Um, I know that a lot of restaurants, especially some of the small mom and pop community restaurants here, have been hit very hard by this um, because they have small dining rooms and 25% of a small dining room plus your workers, it ends up being an, an amount that in many cases restaurants are saying is not worth opening up so they're staying with their curbside delivery. Um, I urge everyone to be patient was in phase two which would begin in early June uh, we're gonna get to a 50% number and we're gonna be able to have a little bit more freedom but as of now it's 25% and yes your employees do count towards that number second question here let's see we pull it up and we are asked how have other states who have reopened fared in their in flattening their curve um, the results have been pretty good Georgia has sort of been the model that everyone is following because quite frankly they're the first one that opened so we have the most data now from them and we could tell you the most about you know in terms of maybe residual effects or maybe you know have they had uh, you know a spike or anything like that and they haven't Georgia's curve has stayed flattened and they've been open now for more than two weeks so they're kind of proving to everyone you know hey um, this can be done now, one of the things that I want to point out, and it grates my nerves to no end, is you see, and excuse my language, I, I shouldn't say these things, but it, I, I, one of the things about having a podcast is I should be honest, and I should give you my raw emotions, and I should give you how I really feel. But you see these assholes in the national media who are spiking the data without giving context, and they're pointing to the fact that Florida, for example, is seeing more cases now than what they have since reopening. 
But what they're not telling you is that Florida also has revamped its testing protocols and they're testing two and three times more people now than what they did before, which makes it natural. So the national media, because they're not talented enough to generate a story naturally and they have to manufacture a story uh, in terms of scaring people, they're saying, oh, well, Florida's cases have spiked since they've reopened. They've spiked since opening up the beaches they've spiked since opening up restaurants and they're using that as a fear and a scare tactic to try to get people to not open up when it's hogwash because the reason why those spikes are going in the way that they're going is because they're testing more people it's the same as in louisiana in the coming days in louisiana guys we're going to see more people test positive for covid19 this has nothing to do with people being sick more now than before our hospital numbers are showing that there are fewer sick people now than ever um the, the but the fact of the matter is the more if i'm if i'm fishing um and i cast my line a thousand times or if i cast my line 50 times i better catch more fish whenever i cast my line a thousand times than whenever i do 50 times just sheer math the more you test, the more positives you're going to have. And I think national media has done a piss poor job of illustrating that to people. Um, but national media has done a piss poor job of a lot of things over the last several years. So it's not a big surprise. How has the United States as a whole done during its pandemic fight? Um, good. You know, kind of like I talked about just a second ago, the states that have reopened have not seen any residual, any residual spikes. They've done a much better job. Um, and I think that, that we're going to continue to see things trending in the right direction there. Number four, what changes in phase two come as opposed to in phase one? Well, you see some of those businesses who are still closed, your you know, massage parlors and you, you know, the places that are going to be waxing your eyebrows and different things like that. They're going to um, open back up. We're also going to have a limit of 50 people as opposed to 10 in a short uh, small social space so that'll be great um and that's basically it you know we're just going to continue to try to make that progress and continue to try to envelope and, and continue to do the things that we're not allowed to do now but that we're going to be able to do in the future so that's basically it in a nutshell is we're having you know the increase in those limits increase in the amount of places that we're going to be able to go and an increase in some of the things that you know we're able to physically do in terms of the world of business the next question is uh will we be will we be getting new stimulus payments man i've been asked this a lot um a bill has passed the house of representatives which would give us new stimulus payments um but with that having been said um that bill is not going to pass through the senate uh, because the Republicans are basically saying that there's too much quote-unquote jargon or garbage in the bill, too many things that they don't want to fund, too many things that they don't want to concede nor agree to. Um, so we may end up getting one in the future that, that matches both parties, but don't hold your breath because the one that's being talked about on TV right now ain't going to be it. That one's not going to pass. That one's not going to become law. That one's not going to be something that we're going to be seeing anytime soon. Um, but I think really the most important way or the easiest way to, to fix our economy is, is naturally, you know, just get people back working and it'll fix itself. We had an economic engine that was almost unrivaled in the history of our planet before all this madness started. And I think that if we just kind of pick up where we left off in a safe and responsible way, the economic problems are going to fix themselves. The price of oil on April 20th went to negative $40 a barrel. Now it's back up to almost $30 a barrel in less than a month. So that just goes to show we need energy. 
people are anxious to work they have the desire to work and our economy is going to fix itself but we've got to physically be working and doing business for the economy to fix itself number six is elmer's island open i'm happy to report after being asked this question about 500,000 times in the last month elmer's island is now back open yes it was closed down whenever grand isle closed down they issued a proclamation where uh, mayor commerdale asked the LDWF to close Elmer's Island to keep people away from Grand Isle and to allow them to better police who is coming and going from the island. But since that time, Grand Isle has reopened and the LDWF has followed suit and they have reopened Elmer's Island. So if you want to go on Elmer's Island, you're more than welcome to do so. Just like if you're more, if you want to go to Grand Isle, you're now more than welcome to do so again as Grand Isle itself has also reopened. Number seven, and it just goes along the lines with the same question that we were asked just a minute ago. If I go to the beach with my family, do I need to wear a mask? I know we're being asked to wear masks in public, but would the beach be considered a public space? Um, please know that I'm not a doctor nor a medical professional. Um, so please know that I'm speaking to you as a man, but as a man who has also done some research onto this topic. Um, so I'm speaking from not a professional place, but also from, a, from an educated place. In public spaces, you're going to the store, you're going to the post office, you're going to Rouse's, you're going to a boutique, you're going to the mall. I would probably advise you to wear your mask because you're protecting your neighbor, you're protecting yourself, but you're also protecting your neighbor most heavily from your own vapors when you cough or sneeze or whatever it may be. But from every piece of guidance that I've been told or been given, that outside exterior spread is not nearly as prevalent outdoors um, because simply the temperature around you is warmer. So the virus lasts for a shorter amount of time and direct sunlight kills it almost instantly. So my best advice I could give you would be uh, to not wear a mask on the beach because I think that it would do more harm than good. You would maybe overheat or your body temperature would get too hot, you dehydrate. Um, but I would also, if you're on the beach, socially distance, don't go and mingle with, you know, 500 people. Keep, you know, your small little circle of friends by you, hang out with them. Don't hang out too much with others around you. Stay far apart from others. And if you don't feel well, obviously stay home. But I do think when you're going to the beach or, you know, going, you know, jogging at the park or whatever it may be, I do think you could leave the mask at home in your outside space at least that's based on the things that i'm hearing and the things that i've studied and researched and everything on my own but if you're going to an enclosed space i do think that it's probably wise to have the mask with you at least for the next couple of weeks thank you so much for the questions if you've got a question send it to justclairecasey at gmail.com find me on facebook just search my name add me as a friend i don't turn anybody down um, find me on twitter casey underscore justclair or if you go to LaFoucheGazette.com, you could um, click on any story that I've written, which has been literally hundreds of them in the last couple of days. Um, any story that I've written will have all of my tag information there. You could find me on any of my social media. You could find me, you know, my email. You could find any kind of way that you got to get a hold of me. Um, this is genuine. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm very accessible. I don't mind being texted. I don't mind being emailed at any time of the day. I'm here to help you guys through this. So we'll get through this together. We'll catch a quick commercial break when we get back. We'll go to the phone lines. Macy Bro will be on the line. It's Casey's Corner Podcast 
here on LaFougeGazette.com. We're going to be talking to a prized MMA fighter and boxer in the next segment on LaFougeGazette.com. And this would be a good reminder to remind you about the Lafouche Gazette app available in all app stores today. Uh, just go to your app store, type LaFougeGazette.com. You get the latest access to all of our news that we're producing. You can get push notifications and anything that we're producing, we could send it to you on your app. 100% easy, 100% free. You don't have to do anything except go to your app store, type Lafouche Gazette, download our app today. That's where you can get all the latest and greatest and stay informed with everything happening in our community. Again, it's the Lafouche Gazette app in your app store available today. It's the Casey's Corner podcast here. Uh, and joining us on the phone lines now is local MMA boxer or MMA fighter and, and slash boxer, Macy Bro. Macy, how are you today? I'm great. Uh, the gym's opened up for good today. <laughs> so uh, I got to get some training in. So today is actually pretty great. Uh, y'all for anybody who's listening right now macy is literally the happiest person in the world if anybody follows her on social media she's always at the gym so for the last couple of weeks she's not been able to get as much training in at the gym i know she's been busy at her house doing things so macy now that you are finally on the way back uh you gotta feel like a kid in a candy store i know today was a great day for you yeah like a kid on christmas too you know (laughs) i got to use uh ordered some new gloves so i got to use them break them in you know train it you know, both my gyms, see my coaches again. It was awesome. This was such an awkward time for, for all this to happen because it comes right around a time where you were looking to transition from amateur to professional and then, then things get shut down and you had some fight line, you know, some fights lined up. Uh, talk us through how awkward it's been for you to just kind of be shut down at a time where ideally you would have been so busy. Yeah, I mean, it really does, like, you know, set your mood back a little bit when you're actually preparing for something, have, like, a date set. You know, especially something so big as being amateur for so long and finally deciding to turn pro. So it's very exciting. And it's almost like a letdown in a way with all this. But, I mean, you know, we can't control it. So throughout all this, besides all that, I had to be like, all right, whenever things fire back up, I'm going to train. So I'm going to stay in shape. I'm going to eat clean so I can hop right back on it when things do open up. Yeah. So we're looking, you know, within the next month to hopefully, you know, get back, get something going. I've been seeing pictures and videos of you working out and doing everything. You've been staying as busy as you can, been doing some swimming, doing some yard work. Is there ever times where the neighbors are looking around saying, what the heck are they doing? I see the videos, you're sparring and stuff out there. It looks like you've been you've been making uh, good use of your time. Yeah, uh, so like I, I have some neighbors that I'll see whenever I go run. You know, They used to see them every day down the street. And then uh, whenever we uh, hit miss and stuff in the backyard, we always get a few honks because like, uh, we're the first house. So people see us <laughs> doing our thing. Very good. And, and y- your last fight was when? I know it's been a little bit now. When was your last bout? Um, in March. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago. So it was in March. It was right before right. this all started. Um, and yeah. uh, I mean, how'd that all go? I know you got a, a victory in that fight. Uh, how'd that fight go for you? Um, that fight was actually for a, a big promotion. It's uh, called LSA Legacy Fight Alliance. So um, it was actually a pro show. But I got to fight the first amateur fight before the pros started. So it was a big stage. It was a really good fight. I ended up uh, winning by decision. And I displayed a lot of things, like a lot of great things that I've been working. And it was uh, it was really fun to do. And uh, the cool thing was, like, I got to do it. Then the week after, came home. And then that's when everything shut down. So I was at least thankful that I got to get that last one in before all this. Very good. And in that fight, I know you'd worked hard. And, and you were telling me before the fight that, hey, look, this is a big one for me because, as you said, there were a lot of prominent people that were watching. And what was some of the feedback that you got after that went? Um, a lot of people, you know, like, uh, good job. You know, they were happy to see me on the show. And then, like, 
and I displayed everything well as far as my striking to my jujitsu to my wrestling. You know, I just combined everything. Uh, got a few compliments, but uh, we didn't actually stay at the fight long. Got the fights done, and then uh, it was actually in Dallas. So the next day, we plan on coming home so I can be back home to meal prep for the next week and whatnot. You know, always staying focused on the next thing. Tell me a little bit about how this started, because I know you've been doing this for a long time, since you were a kid even at times. Um, how'd you get that desire? You know, a lot of you know little girls want to cheerlead and they want to play softball or whatever, but you wanted to be a boxer. Tell us about your story a little bit. Yeah, so it's something I always wanted to do. Like as a um, little girl, I would go to my granny's house, and uh, she lived in uh, Galliano Golden Meadow, and they had the um, one of the boxing gyms down there. And she, it was right by the uh, Golden Meadow Bridge, and they would I would see them run from the bridge and back, and you know, like that kind of like fired me up, like, hey, I kind of want to do that. But as a little girl, you know, I couldn't be in the gym with all those guys and whatnot. So like, eventually, after doing CrossFit stuff, I was like, I want something else that's not going to take as part of a toll on my body. So I was like, I'm gonna get into you know the fighting aspect instead of the lifting and everything after having some back issues. And I just fell in love with the competition side of it. And, like, I love competing in high school. I did, like, softball, swimming, track, cross country. So I was always trying to be active and very competitive. And this is just, like, something you have to be dedicated to 100%. And, like, I really like that aspect of it because there's no working around the corners or anything in this sport. And, and and you do not cut any corners at all. I, I mean, you are constantly, you know, planning meals. You're going to whatever gym it is that you're going to on any given day you're working really hard um but at the same time it's a passion for you i, I know i've asked you before how do you find the energy but the, you know it's an inspiration you, you love doing this don't you i know i know you're always on right. the go but but it's something that you truly do love doing yes so like uh you know like they say if you you're doing what you love you never work a day in your life like same thing you know i love doing it every day it's not something i have to be like oh i gotta go to the gym today it's like you know, that's my pick-me-up if I'm having a bad day is going to the gym. So it's always that positive side of every day, and my thing I look forward to the most. So in terms of, let, let's talk a little bit MMA right now. In terms of that, um, what are some of the, the, the things you're trying to polish up and you're trying to get better at? I know that there's so many different, you know, you, your groundwork and your mat techniques. What are some of the things you're trying to polish up MMA-wise? So, um, like, I have the boxing aspect, and then I compete in jiu-jitsu. So it's just linking those two things together and being able to tie them together for MMA. As far as I'm striking, now I'm taking you down, now I'm back to striking. Instead of, all right, I'm boxing you. And then, like, you know, that in-between, like, linking them together is something I feel like I can fix a little bit. And also, like, um, more, like, kick-heavy stuff, because I do the jiu-jitsu and the striking, like, from the boxing boxing aspect not really as much kicking so i'd like to you know start implying a little bit more of that and then as a pro i can now throw my elbows so i want to you know start polishing that up and brushing up on elbows and knees now that i can do them and then the, on the flip side in terms of your boxing uh fundamentals wise what are some of the things you're trying to clean up there so for boxing now that i'm going pro um that rule set from amateur to pro is a little different so now I'm trying to work on being more patient because the uh, amateur boxing is about like a point scale. So I touch you 10 times, you touch me five, I win. So with the pros, it's more like the power shot, the finesse, like style. And like, you know, I want to create, I'm working on like creating my own style and being more like uh, loose with everything and relaxed in there. So one of the questions I wanted to ask is, you know, have you had a couple of bouts over the last couple of years where um 
you thought that the fight went one way, and I quite frankly thought it went the same way, but the judges thought different. So the question I want to ask you is, how nerve-wracking and anxious is that when you're standing there in the middle of the ring and you don't know your fate? What's going through your mind when that's happening? A lot of times it's like, hey, if you give it your all, like, you know, you shouldn't have to worry. But a lot of times it's frustrating when you know you gave it your all and you watch and you like go back and watch the fight. Even in that moment, it's like, all right, I did what I have to do. And whenever they announce the other person or like a, um, like a split decision, meaning, you know, it, one judge thought your way, the other judge saw it the other way. And like, you know, two judges saw it for her. And it's like, you know, like it was that close, but I felt like I had the edge. And, like, in a way, it is, like, a little discouraging, but then it's more motivation, like, okay, well, next time I can't leave it up to the judges, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, you were a little bit removed from this now, but about a year or so ago, you had a pretty significant injury. Um, Talk us through your rehab and recovery from that, and and does that bother you at all anymore, or is it just full steam ahead? Um, So, as of now, it doesn't really give me any trouble. But um, what happened was I took a fight out in uh, Wisconsin, and the fight was going well. It was supposed to be a five-round title fight. It was the main event. Um, First first round went really well. Started off, you know, pretty slow and decent. Second round, you know, I started picking up the pace. The end of the second round, she threw a kick. And whenever I blocked the kick up high, my arm went to her kick. So my arm actually broke in the fight, and it broke my uh, ulna bone. And I didn't know it was broken, but uh, right away it started like a big bruise, hematoma on it. So the ref uh, and the doctor came in, called the fight. Uh, so I didn't get to finish that fight. Then uh, the next day we flew home. It was a Sunday, so I couldn't go to the doctor unless I went to the emergency room. But I went to see a, a specialist the next day on the Monday. And uh, they put me in a cast. And then um, after the cast, I went back in like two weeks. Then it was um, healing, but it was like a few centimeters off. So they said they have to go in and do surgery. Um, so I had two options, one to get plates, but they said with the plates, there's like uh, a higher chance of re-injuring it or refracturing it. So I ended up getting a rod all the way through and the healing process took a while. It took about, I was probably out for a year um, trying to heal, doing therapy. Um, I was still training, of course. I had a cast on. I worked on different things like kicks and, you know, throw on one hand and things I wasn't able to work on before. So I still like trained through it. But it was like a little setback. But in a way, you know, it helped me like sit back and do things from the other side. I still went to the gym, took notes. But it was a long healing process, but, you know, for a year for an injury. So, yeah, yeah no yeah. doubt. So one, one of the things that I admire the most about you, Macy, is that. Um, I, I know for one, you're a mom, and, and I know also that you like to give back to the next generation, but you like kids, you like teaching and like doing different things like that when you're at the gym. Talk about, you know, just kind of being that, that big buddy slash role model slash teacher in a way to, to some kids who are learning. Yeah, so um, I do teach kids classes at uh, Mid-City in New Orleans, and uh, I absolutely like love teaching the kids because like you can use your imagination when you teach them. And then like little ones, I feel like, you know, even in the boxing gym that I go to, Whenever I see a kid work something like, you know, I'll go work with them. All the kids know me. And, it, you know, like, even, like, my son or whenever I hear him cheering for fights, it's just, like, a little extra motivation knowing, like, all these kids look up to you. And, like, I just want to, you know, give back, help them out. And, like, you know, because they, they see that. Like, if, like, uh, you know, like, the kids are in there, hey, like, Coach Macy, and they, like, see you doing stuff, and then you help them out, you know, that means a lot to them. So, you know, I really like that aspect of it. What is the hardest you have ever 
landed a, a punch on someone? What was the most flush that you've ever caught someone? Um, I would have to say, like, so there's two, one in a boxing match where uh, the girl came in. Actually, I fought a girl, um, I think it was in Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, uh, they only had one girl there that weighed in. And she was about 10 pounds heavier than me. But I, uh, I was like, I'll give up the weight just to take the fight because I traveled there, you know, a few hours. So uh, she had came in. Whenever she came in, I threw my right hand, and it actually uh, put her on her butt. For a boxing match, you know, I thought that was pretty impressive because we do have the bigger padded gloves mm-hmm. and the headgear. And then in my last fight, I have a beautiful picture of me throwing my uh, left hook, and it landed a pretty nice punch on her. So those are, you know, two of my favorite shots. Is it a situation where, I mean, you're talking to someone who's never been in a fight in his life, so so bear with me if I'm asking a dumb question, but is it a situation where, like, as soon as you land it, like, you know, hey, they're probably going to be hurt? Like, can you tell right away? Yeah, a lot of times you can, like, uh, you know, from their reactions, like, if they're, if, you know, if you land a hard shot, they'll shell up and start going back, and that's when you can put on the pressure and land more punches, or you can shoot for a takedown because their hands are up high. And there's a lot of tell, you know, you have to be really watching your opponent, like for everything, like, all right, I'm really watching their shoulders because I want to see what punch is coming next so I can slip or move. I need to see what my, what, like what shots they're feeling, you know? So you, you got to really pay attention to their reactions and their body language as you're fighting. So we're in this time where everybody's quarantining and the UFC has been having, you know, cards and shows without fans. So the question I want to ask you is, if ever you were in a situation where you had to fight, you know, an official fight in an empty arena or an empty gym, whatever it may be, would that be hard? Because it feels like to me like so much of that sport relies on the fans making noise and hooting and hollering. Like it feels like that'd be a difficult thing to do. Um, In a way, like, you know, the no fans is like a big part of it. And the fans are like, you know, the people who go there, like the support and everything means a lot, especially like your family and your friends who are there. Like, you want to put on a show for them. But, like, not having fans, it's almost like, you know, I'm here in the gym. So I feel like it would be a little more relaxed and comfortable. Like, hey, like a little less stressful in a way. A little less, like, anxiety off of it. Because I'm, I'm in there. I'm just doing my thing, doing what I love to do. Not worrying about the crowd or not being able to hear the crowd. So, I mean, in a way, you know, it's a plus. Okay, so I understand. Now, now talk me through this. I know that you've got, you know, some things that are that are moving pretty quickly here. Um, you're looking to turn pro here very soon. What's sort of your timeline? What are some of the goals that you have in place for the next couple of months? Um, so I do the MMA and the boxing, but um, my goal is to go pro in the boxing first. Once you go pro in one, you have to go pro in the other. So it's not, you can't be pro in boxing and amateur in MMA. So of course I'm going to go pro in both. But I would like to do maybe one or two boxing matches. Um and then after those boxing matches, maybe um, like have like a month or two months camp for an MMA fight and then take one there. So within the next few months, two boxing matches and possibly MMA fight, but depending on how everything falls. Have you heard anything? Like are there shows that are going to be going on over the summer? Have you gotten any, any feedback about that? Yeah, so um, the boxing promoter is looking to put on a show. Um, he didn't give me any details yet, but... Um, probably middle of july okay sounds good now one of the things i wanted to ask you about before we let you go is i know this is so frustrating to you because 
you take so much pride in terms of maintaining your body the right way and making the right weight. And you've had several times now where you've showed up and, you know, your opponent didn't take the same pride and didn't make weight or, you know, your opponents were, you know, didn't, you know, arrive to the way in or whatever. How frustrating is that when, when you're doing the right things, but the people that you're supposed to be fighting are not? That's very frustrating, especially like, you know, whenever you're training specifically like for an opponent, doing your homework, studying that opponent, your eyes are set on that opponent specifically. So, you know, you're like, all right, I'm like, you know, you have it set in your mind. I'm going to fight this person and this is my game plan. And you plan this for, you know, like if not three months, like a month at the least, you know, and whenever they don't make weight, it's kind of frustrating because, hey, I had to you know, kind of drain my body to cut the weight that I needed. Because, I mean, I don't fight it, you know, what I walk around at. Each fighter cuts maybe, you know, 5 to 10 pounds or maybe a few a few less. But we do cut the weight. We put a strain on our body every time we do it. So we are putting taking a toll. And if someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, it is very frustrating. Uh, lots of times in my early amateur career, I uh, I was like, all right, I'm still going to fight them even though they don't make weight. But as my career goes on, you know, I have to make smarter choices and, you know, realize like, hey, like something ba- something could go wrong with me giving up this weight. So I have to be smart about it now. But, you know, in the past, I've I've still fought opponents when they miss weight just because I wanted the experience. So you're one of the, the, the cleanest eaters I know. Um, but whenever you are, you know, maybe a day or two removed from a fight and you know you don't have another fight or two coming up for, you know, for a while – What's your cheat meal? What's the one thing that you always want to sit down and eat and say, you know what, to heck with it, I'm having a cheat meal. What is it? Yeah, so I really don't eat much uh, red meat during training camp and during training just because it takes a while, like, longer for our bodies to digest throughout the day instead of, like, you know, like a leaner meat like fish or chicken. So my cheat meal is uh, something simple like steak and brisket or something like that. And then, like, uh, I'll have a big uh, pint of a uh, Rebel ice cream. Don't know if you ever heard of it. But it's a low-carb ice cream. It's 600 calories a pint, but I don't feel as guilty because I don't have all the carbs and uh, sugars in it. So that's my cheat meal, steak and uh, keto ice cream. Sounds good. Tell us about your meal prep a little bit before we let you go. I know that you're, you're committed to, to both yourself, but also to helping other people. To, uh, let the, the folks know how they can maybe get involved with that. Yeah, so um, my, I have a web page. It's called Macy'sMealPrep.com. And um, on the page, I just update the menu every week. And I have a few, like, options to choose from with uh, paleo plans, which are basically, like, um, dairy-free, soy-free, and then a grain-free plan. And then I have, like, a keto plan, which is, like, low-carb. And it's mostly, you know, things that I eat throughout the week. And it just started up because, you know, I was doing it. People saw my results, and I was like, all right, I really love cooking. I love the health aspect. I want to give back. And uh, as of right now, I'm actually uh, taking a course uh, the ISSA, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but I'm taking their nutrition course. They have personal trainer courses and all this other stuff just because, you know, I want to get more into it and have the certification, more certifications. You know, I read all these health books and food books and it's just something I would do, you know, even if I wasn't fighting or even like, you know, even whenever I make it big, like I just love meal prepping and the food aspect and the health aspect of everything also. Very good. Well, look, Macy, thanks so much for the time, and I know you're going to be back at the gym tomorrow, so enjoy the gym. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. We thank Macy so much for her time. We'll catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go to the world of Major League Eating, where we'll have Adrian Morgan on the line. 
the hot dog eating competition in New York City is right around the corner. We're going to ask him about that, ask him about some of his most memorable stories as a competitive eater, and so much more right out of this break. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. LaFoucheGazette.com is your home for all the latest happenings in the LaFouche Parish efforts to fight COVID-19. Every single day at noon, we have a new story with all the updated numbers, and we give um, you know all the latest figures, and we keep you informed. So that's LaFoucheGazette.com. Visit us today for all the latest in the fight in the state of Louisiana and in LaFouche Parish against COVID-19. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast, and joining us now on the phone lines, we have a major league eater from New Orleans, Louisiana. Adrian Morgan's on the line. Adrian, how are you? Doing great, man. It's good to be here. How are you? I'm doing fine, my friend. Um, we wanted to have you on because... Uh, you do such an interesting thing. Major League Eating is, is, is growing quickly, and they recently had a, you know, a tournament. They were one of the first competitions back since the pandemic. So I'm going to ask you, uh, how have you been doing, man? I know things have been going slow, but how's everything been going for you? Uh, everything's been going good. I'm working in uh, construction, so I have a essential, I guess, job title, and I've been working um, throughout this whole thing. Um, worked a little bit from home the first couple weeks, and then we returned uh the site but everything's been good and um just trying to train for this season we don't really know what's going on with it kind of yet but um yeah i was um i was a big fan of the uh the bet online uh tournament they did um i thought i thought it went really well um yeah it was enjoyable to watch very good and so i gotta ask you man how, how did you get into doing this what was it something that you know, you aspire to do, like, how did this come about to where you decided, you know what, I want to eat a bunch and I want to do it in a quick amount of time. I want to enter these competitions. How'd that all come about? Uh, well, it was kind of a, a slow process. Um, I kind of got into it. Well, I guess I was a, a fan first. I always tell people I had grown up kind of watching the contest on ESPN. Me and my dad were big fans of it. We watched it every 4th of July. And, um, and I was just a big fan of, of watching Kobayashi and uh, Joey Chestnut kind of duke it out. It was uh, almost kind of like a, an Olympic type event for me, um, you know, just being kind of USA versus Japan. And there was always that kind of uh, that I, you don't know who's going to win. And that was always kind of intriguing to me. Um, since Kobe's gone, it's kind of, his competition, Joey's competition has not really been, you know, as, as good, but, um, yeah, I was a fan first. I was a big uh, fan of the show, um, man versus food when it, when it came out in 2009. And, uh, that's kind of how it started. I never, you know, watching the contest so many times, I never really considered ever entering a food eating contest. And, and to me, just like probably a lot of people that, you know, I run into, Everybody knows the Nathan's contest because it's on TV. Not so many people know about, you know, the other smaller contests that we do, um, unless you kind of run across one at a, one of these festivals or something. Um, but yeah, I, I had no idea there were any other contests besides the Nathan's contest. I think I had seen, I think they, uh, they used to have a crystal hot hamburger eating contest. Um, they put that one on uh, a couple years on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I'd seen that one once. And I was like, oh, I wish, you know, I, I could see more of these um, other kinds of foods and stuff, but just never knew any other contests were out there. Uh, Man vs. Food came on and kind of started. Uh, I think maybe I could, you know, I, I kind of had a bad, big appetite. I've been uh, just a, a big eater 
um, my whole life. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of a cool idea. I would go to a restaurant and eat a big pizza or a big hamburger and maybe get it for free or, you know, a little bit of cash or a t-shirt or something like that. Yeah. So it just kind of started as a hobby. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Uh, I came across major league eating when I was kind of researching these restaurant challenges and, um, next one they were having when I came upon it was in Biloxi, Mississippi, 2010 in January. And, um, it was a peanut butter and banana, uh, sandwich eating contest. And I entered and I did all right. I met a bunch of the guys and it kind of, you know, went from there. So one of the things that, you know, I want to ask is it's easy for us to sit back and say, man, these guys are eating a bunch of hot dogs or man, these guys are eating a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever it may be. But to do this and to do this safely and to do this effectively, you have to train your body to do this. Talk about some of the things that, that goes into being successful at this. Right. So, I mean, we train, um, you know, we, we all consider the sport uh, to maybe a spectator. My, it's kind of on that edge of being a sport, maybe just kind of being a, a circus act type of kind of weird thing. Um, but yeah, we train just pretty much like any other athlete we have to you know um your body's in shape then you can perform better um we train with with food and liquid um we do you know like little mini contests at home just to kind of get a feel for the food and um just get our stomachs used to handling that much volume um it's a very uh, slow gain it's um not anything that um, there is there is a little bit of a maybe like um, a natural talent at it, but to be really good at, you have to train uh, a lot and uh, for a long amount of time. Just imagine maybe trying to increase your flexibility in your legs, and um, you know it takes a long time before you can you can't just go all the way down. You just kind of a little by little by little by little, and you stop for you know a week and you've lost you know, four times what you gained in a week, you know? Yeah. So, um, the gains are really small and the losses are really big if you don't keep at it. And, um, I mean, a lot of it is, is mental. It's just being able to constantly just like, I got to train, I got to keep going, you know, and doing it for so long is, uh, it kind of takes a toll on just your mind. You just, I mean, when I first started, it was, I was always excited to barely see before a contest. And now it's a little bit more lax. Like I'm kind of used to it. Um, so it, it, it does take a little bit of kind of oomph to get like, you know, that adrenaline going in like a, like a home setting. So, um, to prepare for the contest. So how do you guys, um, you said you got to do like some little mini contests <clears throat> at the house and everything. How do you guys physically burn enough calories to not all be weighing four and 500 pounds? I mean, if you're practicing eating 50 hot dogs, you know, every couple of days, obviously that's problematic. How do you physically burn enough calories to stay in good condition? Well, you pretty much just balance it out. Um, so during hot dog season, um, I'll do one practice a week. And uh, um, so like usually the, the day before I'm eating pretty minimally, trying to stay hydrated, you know, the day of. I'll, you know, eat a bunch, um, and try to max out. And then I don't really eat, you know, that much for, you know, the next day or maybe two days. Okay. Um, usually the next day is a lot of fruits and veggies. Um, maybe on that, that second day after is when I will, you know, eat maybe like some normal food, but 
yeah, I mean, it's really just kind of like a balancing act. Uh, like I said, staying in shape, um, you know, physically, cardiovascularly really helps um, kind of bounce back. Um, so you be able to kind of come at it the next week with the same intensity. And, and um, yeah, I mean, just like anybody that's a, that's a gym rat or a weightlifter has a cheat day, it's, it, it kind of runs along those lines. Okay, that makes sense. Um, do you have a preferred food? Uh, like I, I'm thinking of it from my own perspective. Some foods, you know, the textures would be different or difficult. Do you have like a preferred food or a preferred texture? Um, so I'm a, I always love to do uh, a technique food. Um, kind of my my strength as a competitive eater is, is something a little bit more quick, somewhat hand speed. I was never a guy that could, uh, well, I can eat a good amount of food compared to some of these guys that can can take down you know like joey or or uh, jeff esper or kobayashi or somebody who has this like insane capacity to eat like 60 you know plus hot dogs i was just never uh that guy that could that put in the time really to to get up to that some capacity so i kind of always preferred the the um the technique foods i you know worked in the kitchen for a long time so i my hand speed was um, was pretty good, and uh, I don't know. I always preferred eating. I was really good at crawfish, and um, I do pretty well at uh, chicken wings. So, so, and usually those contests, like we, it's kind of a little bit slower. You're not really eating as much volume. So after the contest, you don't feel like uh, crap after either. And one of the things that uh, for folks who've never been to a major league eating event, and, and I was fortunate enough to be at one. I was able to cover one. Uh, you guys came to La Rose and did a seafood gumbo uh, competition. I remember I covered it and Joey was there and all the guys were there. I don't know if you were there for that one. Um, but one of the things people don't realize is you guys come into town and put on a show, man. I mean, uh, there was, I remember there was a guy who was on the stage. He was he was p- playing music. And I mean, like it was a full-fledged production. You guys have a great time. Talk about, you know, what it's like being a part of these events. Yeah, I mean, we get, um, we get a few mixed results as far as, you know, crowd and Sometimes we go to places that aren't, you know, quite as as um, as up as, as South Louisiana. But yeah, a lot of these contests, uh, you know, the crowd really gets into it. I was actually in, I was there for the La Rose event. Um, it was a lot of fun. They they broke the world record for the largest gumbo. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it tasted great. And um, yeah, I mean, crowds get into it. I mean, it depends. Usually, like what's going on around it. Uh, a lot of times, I'll do them around festivals and stuff like that. But yeah, that was a really great event. It was a great crowd, and people got into it. So, away from from this world of competitive eating, what are some things that Adrian Morgan, the, the guy, likes to do besides for all this stuff? Oh, I'm really into. I mean, I'm into a few things. I, I love sports. Um, I grew up playing baseball and football. Played in high school, um, so I'm really into watching sports. Uh, um, I bake a lot. I, 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 um, I was a chef, uh, not too long ago and, uh, do a lot of baking and, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I have a little, I have a little boy now that, um, he's about 16 months old and, um, there's a lot of time spent with him and, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, I mean, I like to eat, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. So this is a sports podcast. So now you tell me you like sports. I got to ask you, what, what do you think of the Saints offseason, man? Um, I think it's, I feel good about it. Um, you know, Breeze is, is getting up there. It's a little, uh, 
a little scary, but I, you know, I really wanted the, you know, the, to go off the bang. And, uh, man, it's just been hard these past few years to, uh, to be so close. And it's like, I don't know, you almost feel, you almost feel like how he feels like, like, um, you know, another year, another year, I got to do it another year. Cause I don't know. He's, he's getting up there. It seems like he would want to retire, but I mean, that guy has so much fire in him. I just, I really admire him. So, so one of the questions but, I want to ask you along those same lines is there's all the rumors of NFL games being played without fans and NBA games being played without fans, wherever it may be. If you guys got to do like, let's say the hot dog eating competition without anybody in attendance, do you guys feed off of the energy and the noise around you? Like, would it be more difficult to do it without anyone there? Um, I don't think so. I think uh, a lot of it is is competing against each other. I mean, the crowd the crowd definitely helps, but um, you know, I think being there just uh, eating against everyone else. A lot of the times, I can barely hear the crowd because I'm kind of focused on chewing and swallowing and, and stuff like that. I'm listening to you know the MC on where so and so is, or kind of looking around to see where everyone else is to kind of maybe draft off of them and just to kind of see if I need to push myself harder or, you know, or, you know, a lot of times I'm just trying to block a lot of noise out or sometimes I don't want to look at the other person because I want to keep compete more against myself and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, the crowd definitely helps. It's a lot of fun to, to eat in front of people. Um, but I think, you know, I think we do fine just without the crowd. That goes along the lines of the next question I was going to ask you, Adrian, is that, um, you know, in a football game or a basketball game, like everybody knows uh, what the score is. You know where you fare. You know how much you're winning by, how much you're losing by. But when you're spread out at a table of 20, 30 competitors, you don't know what the guy, you know, 10 chairs down is doing. You could kind of hear it a little bit. But is it is it difficult to kind of not know where you stand? Yeah, it can be. I mean, sometimes over, over the years, it's kind of – hurt me and helped me to watch people. And, um, I mean, sometimes I feel like if I'm, sometimes I just close my eyes. So I don't, I don't look around me. It kind of takes, um, kind of my eye off the ball if I'm looking around too much. Um, sometimes I really, I've been in those contests where, you know, I'm eating and I look over and someone's, you know, a half of a hot dog ahead of me or, or one hot dog ahead of me. I just have to push. And sometimes I've, you know, come out on top just so I'm like kind of drafting off someone else. Um, so yeah, I think it, that might actually, you know, have a little bit of effect, but in, in those cases, I'd probably just try to get into my own head and, you know, just go as fast as I could without, um, looking around. So I got to ask you the question that everybody that's listening at home is thinking, after you have just eaten 40 or 50 hot dogs in 10 or 15 minutes, how do you feel? How long does it take before you could get back to feeling normal again? Oh, it feels, um, it feels pretty miserable. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> um, I've hit 41 time and it wasn't even at the finals or in a, in a, it was kind of at home type of thing. And, um, yeah, it doesn't feel good. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of stomach ache, um, very thirsty, uh, and you're just kind of out of commission for the rest of the day. And then the next day, I'm, I usually feel pretty tired. Um, usually kind of as the season goes on, I've done it a few, done a few practices, then, um, then my body is a little bit more used to it. Um, 
but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of rest after. I understand that. And have you guys gotten any guidance in terms of July the fourth, or, or have you heard anything about that? Oh man, I've been I've been asking everybody. Has anyone heard? Um, you know, we've had a, a few of the guys kind of email uh, Major League Eating, and and um, you know they they seem to have something in the works. Um, I don't think it's been signed off as of yet. So, um, and I have no idea what what that would look like. Um, but I, I would guess that maybe you know a contest without fans or. Um, Maybe something like we d- they did online. Um, I guess my ideal my ideal um, way of doing it would maybe just to be have qualifiers, kind of like they did uh, with, with the tournament, and then maybe have us eat in New York, but not or just at some location um, that's filmed that's that's safe and you know it's. For all of us, it's, it's July 4th, and that's kind of what we look forward to, like, every year. Like, the start of every year is like, all right, it's time to kind of buckle down and start start getting ready for, for July 4th. And, um, yeah, I think it would, uh, you know, just just like any other sports uh, person out there, like, you know, baseball, baseball guys and the, and the basketball guys, there's just, you know, something missing. Um, and, yeah, I really hope that, you know, that we can put something together. Well, we definitely hope that too, Adrian. Look, thanks so much for the time, my friend, and uh, best of luck to you. We we enjoy watching you compete, and we hope that we get to watch you compete real soon. Yeah, I hope so too. It's been great to be here. Thanks, man. Thank you. We thank Adrian so much for his time. We look forward to having him on here on the show in the future. But we're going to go ahead and catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to give an update in the world of sports. Sean Payton has said some things that have drawn some headlines. The LSU football documentary has just aired. We'll talk about that. And we're also going to take your questions. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. And this break will allow me to tell you guys that I'm doing this Casey's Corner Podcast for you, our readers and our listeners at the LaFouche Gazette. Um, I'm doing this 100% for you to give you guys an opportunity to have a little peace of mind and a little bit of normalcy during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but I also want your input into the things we talk about. So if there's a guest you'd like me to get, let me know. I'll try my darndest to have them on. If there's a topic you'd like me to talk about, let me know, and I'll do my darndest to inform myself and educate myself on that topic. If there's a team that you want to reminisce about or a game or anything of that sort, let me know. We'll make it happen here on the Casey's Corner Podcast. And welcome back to the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. We want to express our sincerest thanks to Macy Bro uh, for her time and also to Adrian Morgan for his time. Um, now we're going to talk some things going on in the world of sports. It's actually a perfect segue. I don't know if you guys can hear this in the background. I'm sitting under my carport here in my cutoff Louisiana home. And across the street from me, my neighbors are actually playing some pickup basketball. So if you hear the balls bouncing in the background, I guess it'll be a perfect segue for the segment that we're about to have. Um, the big sports news, at least in terms of local sports, has come out of the LHSAA. The Louisiana High School Athletic Association has announced the start date for the summer schedule in terms of Louisiana high school athletics. The LHSAA said that the summer schedule, which was once scheduled for mid to late May, has been postponed, but it has been postponed just to June the 8th. So schools on June the 8th will be able to get back in action, will be able to work out and do organized team activities. And the LHSAA also issued guidance um, in terms of what will be allowed, what will not be allowed. 
And basically, as we understand it, on June the 8th, um, all sports except for the contact sports, and the contact sports are being listed as football, basketball, soccer, and wrestling. So everything but those four sports will be allowed to resume full team activities. So if you're a baseball team and you know your summer schedule allows you to go and have a, a team scrimmage or you know take infield or whatever it may be, you're allowed to do it. Um, and if you're a non-contact sport, golf, tennis, whatever, you'll be allowed to do it uh, on June the 8th. If you are a football player, if you're a basketball player, if you're you know one of the players in the contact sports, you'll be able to get together with your coaches and everything like that. But um, you're going to have to um, be doing strictly conditioning work. There will be no teamwork. There will be no you know team activities. You're going to be doing strictly conditioning, and you're going to be you know getting together and and you know doing different things. But you will not be able to have on-field team-specific activities during those times. So one thing to keep in mind as we go over the, that situation, again, that June 8th date, we're going to be in phase two by June 8th. So if you're wondering, well, man, how's this going to look? You can only have 10 people in one place at a certain time. We're going to be in phase two at that time. So the numbers will be accelerated. We'll be able to have 50 people together at a certain time. The fire marshal capacity will be 50% at that time. So we're going to be in a situation where more people will be allowed together at certain times. So that should make for a more seamless transition and more people should be allowed to get back to work. And as we've said on the podcast, um, we need a summer. It's not an if, it's, it's, a, it's a must. We have to have a summer if we want to have a fall because the summer gets you ready for the fall. We've got to condition these kids' bodies. We've got to condition these kids' minds. We've got to condition these kids' talent sets, lungs, and everything. They've got to have the capacity to go and beat on one another in the fall, and that all starts during the summer. So we've got to get that in place, and it looks like we're trending in the right direction, barring any setbacks. It looks like we're on schedule. Um, In terms of when team activities are going to be allowed for football and basketball and soccer, that, that would be in phase three, which would be closer towards July, uh, which, again, would trend in the right direction, put us well on schedule for a September or late August and September resume to on-field games. One thing that I wanted to talk about was the LSU football documentary, which was aired on the SEC Network earlier this week. It's been aired and re-aired and played again and again and again um, throughout the week as more people have been able to see it. Um, I thought it was well done. Uh, did the sports corner with my buddy Stan on, on actually a couple hours ago on ESPN 100.3. And he and I both agreed that it's so difficult to capture probably the most dominant football season in the history of college football in just an hour. I mean, you're talking about 15 victories that were shown in one hour's time. So there was a lot that was left out. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that was left out. But there were several things that were part of the show that almost kind of looked like they were intentionally part of the show. And what I mean by that is there was not a single mention of Dave Aranda in the one-hour show, which I think shows that maybe he didn't leave LSU on the best terms. You guys who follow me closely on social media know my thoughts on this. I think Dave Aranda is the most over, O-V-E-R, not under, overrated coordinator in college football last season. He was the highest paid coordinator in the history of college football the last several seasons. And LSU was in the 40s in total defense. I could pay a lot of people $2 million to finish 40th in a 100-team race. LSU was middle of the pack defensively in the SEC, 
and they had high-end NFL talent. I think Aranda was kind of sort of overrated. I'm not happy to see him go. I don't think he should have been fired or anything like that. But I do think that there's going to be no drop-off with Bo Pelini. And I think that he's going to come slide right into that role. And LSU's defense is going to pick up without missing a beat, if not getting just outright better with the change in regime. So I thought it was noted that LSU um, had this documentary produced and there was not a single mention of Dave during the one hour. I thought that it was um, noteworthy also that there was so much Joe Brady and Ensminger. I think that, you know, you talk about leaving the place on good terms. I think that Joe Brady left LSU on great terms. And in the future, if the NFL thing doesn't work out or if Coach Ogeron retires and Joe Brady at that time is looking to be a head coach, I think that that bridge is still very much in place. And um, then the last thing that I wanted to touch on is just, oh, my God, what a football team. Um, so much talent, you know, so many memorable moments of Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow doing things that we're probably never going to see again as LSU fans. And the one guy who stood out the most to me, because look, this football team had so much acclaim and so many headlines and so much swag. They were so hip. Um, the one guy who I think kind of sort of sometimes got lost in the shuffle was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And going back and watching that one hour and seeing some of his highlights, my God, what a college football player Clyde Edwards Hilaire was. And my God, what a scary weapon he's going to be with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Y'all, I was watching the highlights back of the Alabama game. And this is Alabama now. This is an NFL-level defense almost. And it's coached by maybe the, the most brilliant college football mind in the history of the sport. They had no chance to guard him. They had no chance. In the running game, they couldn't stop him. In the passing game, they couldn't stop him. They had no chance. And and just something as basic as simply tackling him, they had no chance. In the open field, he was slippery. He was spinning and juking and jiving, and there was no way that they were getting him on the ground. And that was my biggest takeaway was that, man, that joker was good. That joker was underappreciated. He is going to forever be one of the great LSU Tigers who, necess- who won't necessarily have all that big acclaim. You know, he wasn't a Doak uh, Walker Award winner. He wasn't a first-team All-American. Um, but, man, that football team would have struggled to win the championship without his efforts and without all the things that he did for that team. So in the world of professional football, the New Orleans Saints football coach Sean Payton has made some headlines. He's come out and said some very vocal and very pointed things in terms of the the Pittsburgh Steelers, in terms of the Bounty Gate scandal. Um, James Harrison said on a podcast earlier this week, uh, which I would encourage you to listen to after you finish listening to this episode, of course, but it was on Bleacher Report. He came out and said one of the times that he was fined by the league for an illegal hit Mike Tomlin gave him, quote, an envelope for his troubles, which Sean Payton then got with national media on the NFL Network and said, well, the NFL is not going to look into that. They're going to slide it under the rug and this, that, and the other. And um, this is going to be unpopular sentiment because I'm labeled as a Saints hater. And in some respects, that may be true. In some respects, it may not be true. But my best advice to Sean would be, Man, get over it. Like it's. I understand you're you're angry, and I understand you're you're petty about this. And this is something that I'm telling him to get over it. He specifically said in the interview he's never going to get over it. 
But man, that was a long time ago. A lot has happened since then. A lot of things have changed since then. Um, quit whining, man. Like, I get it. It's popular to play the victim, and it's popular to say, "Oh man, we've been cheated. We've been robbed." We, in every single one of the instances where the Saints were quote unquote cheated, they had their own fate in their own hands and blew it. In the Rams game, they had the ball to start overtime and blew it. In the Rams game, after the pass interference call. The Rams got the ball and had to go the length of the field to get a field goal, and they did it. In the Vikings game, you had the entire game to not kick field goals in the red zone. You had the entire game to protect Drew Brees better and to give yourself a better chance to win that game. In the, in the game with the Vikings at Minnesota, you had the entire game to not play terribly in the first half and dig yourself a big hole. So all the woe is me stuff and all the whining and crying and complaining and conspiracy theories and everything of that sort, it's all well and good. But that's stuff that losers do. That's stuff that people who finish in second place do. You know who doesn't do those things or who doesn't you know, ever come off and whine about the media and different things and how they're being portrayed and whine about the rules of the league? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady don't whine about those things because they just go ahead, overcome those obstacles, and win championships. And I understand that the, the cynic Saints fan is going, to say, is going to say, oh, bro, the Patriots are cheaters and this, that, and the other. Well, we're going to find out soon when Tom Brady's in Tampa this coming season. We're going to find out soon about all that. But, man, just let it go. You've got opportunities here in the next couple of years to win championships and right all those wrongs and just quit crying about it. It's over. It's done with. Life is better when it's lived looking forward, not looking backward. That Those things are never going to change. And I get that it stings. I get that it sucks. But, man, it's, it's too late to go back now. And even if the Steelers did do something wrong, it doesn't change the fact that the Saints also did something wrong that probably was something that was worth getting punished for. We're going to get to our Q&A in just a second, but I wanted to touch briefly on the news that, I um, hope I'm saying this right, I'm sure I'm not, Tuluia Tagovailoa, the brother of Tua Tagovailoa, has transferred out of Alabama, has transferred to Maryland. Um, not surprising news um, when, when the younger brother wasn't starting over the kid that Alabama started when Tua got injured, the kid who, quite frankly, was not very good. Um, it led me to believe, hey, maybe little brother isn't quite the player that big brother is. Uh, so to see that now Alabama signed some big-time quarterbacks in their recruiting classes, um, and those guys are going to maybe be competing for starting jobs this fall. But little Tua, or little Tagovailoa, was not part of those plans. Not surprising to hear him transfer. He's going to be going off to Maryland. We wish him well. A little surprised to see Maybe not going back to the West Coast, um, where the family's from. They're obviously you know native Hawaiian, but we wish them best luck out in his ventures in Maryland. So now we go to our sports mailbag. Before we wrap up the show, we got great questions today. And as always, like we said in the COVID segment, if you've got any questions for me, send them over to Casey. Oh, excuse me, to JustGlareCasey at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, search my name, or find me on Twitter, Casey underscore JustGlare. That's where you could find me at any time, any place. I make myself available to you guys at any time. We'll, we'll, you know, If you've got a question, we'll get it answered. First question comes from a listener who wants to know, is there any chance Miles Brennan gets beat out by one of the two LSU freshmen? Um, I don't think that there's any chance of that. I think that the freshmen are going to uh, be backup roles or red shirt or whatever it may be. But from everything I've seen out of Miles Brennan in camp, well, not in camp, there's no camp, but from his own camp, uh, some of the social media he's been doing, working out and everything of that sort, 
Um, he's big and strong, man. He is massive. He's grown to be almost a 230-pound man. Uh, he's big and thick in the upper body, and we know he's got a big, strong arm. And um, this is now going to be his fourth year at LSU. So he's going to be a man out there playing on that field. And he's got weapons. He's got Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall, you know, great running backs coming back. So I think Miles is going to make it work, and I think LSU's offense is still going to be explosive. Can he be the running threat that Joe Burrow was? I don't think so. He's got a little bit more of the cement feet than what Joe Joe did. Um, but I think that standing back there, slinging it around, short passes, long passes, intermediate passes, he's going to keep LSU's offense moving forward. Second question, and this is a good question. Best sports movie of all time? Um and again, I, I'm telling you guys now, whenever I, I go to do these shows, and this is the honest to goodness truth, when I go to do these shows, I gather all the questions together, I copy-paste them all into a document, I don't look at them, I don't study them, I don't research them, because when you guys are asking me for my opinion about things, I want to give an honest, raw opinion that's the fresh, freshest thing from the top of my head. Um, and the, with the first movie that came to my mind was The Sandlot. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it a little bit, I'll give a couple of them. The Sandlot obviously is a great one. I love the Little Giants as a kid. I loved Major League as a kid. But if you're looking for not, you know, sort of a kiddie movie, the program was great. Blue Chips was great. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's a bunch of them there. There, there have been several. Um, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that. What's your feedback? Uh, find me on social media and let me know what you think. Third question, and I answered this one early, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. In what phase does football come back, and will there be enough time for us to have a season? Uh, phase three would be the answer, so that would be late June, early July. And if there are no setbacks, yes, we will be in time to have a season, have workouts and camp and everything before the season. Um, now, does that mean we'll be able to have a jam-packed house at Memorial Stadium at South Lafouche or at Guidry Field uh, in Thibodeau or at Tiger Stadium or at the Superdome? I don't know, but I do think in terms of just strictly playing games, we're going to be able to get those games in, and I don't think it's going to be much of an issue. Now, what does it look like financially? Can the schools make money playing? Is it worth their time playing? Those are questions that are going to have to be answered. But in terms of just the logistics of physically playing a game, it does look like we're going to be able to get that in. Number four, if you were a wrestler, what would your finishing move be? you got to understand something. Um, I'm five foot nine. I'm 170 pounds, and my arms look like spaghetti noodles. So anything that would involve me picking up another human being and slamming them down would probably not be wise for me nor for them. So I'm going to go with um, a submission hold, and I'm going to say that the walls of Jericho slash Lion Tamer slash Boston Crab would be my finishing move simply because it's the move that's the least, the least physically strenuous. It's the move that I could put on just about anyone, and it's the move that I could do uh, to others without having to be a bodybuilder. So that's a great question. You guys know that I love professional wrestling, um, but that would be the answer. It would probably be the Boston Crab because it's the only move physically that I could do to someone without having to you know, actually physically pick them up. Number five is maybe the best question of the day, and I could do an entire show on this, and I may someday do an entire show on this type of thing as we move out of COVID planning and into more some themed episodes and telling some stories and everything like that. But number five is, would the best players in today's NBA beat the 1992 Dream Team? Um, so best players today's game, I'm assuming we're talking about a team of 
LeBron James, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard um, against the Dream Team. And the answer to that question, and this is going to be something you guys are not going to expect me to say because I've been such a pro-Michael Jordan and such an anti-LeBron guy on this podcast, I think today's Dream Team would would very easily beat the 1992 Dream Team just because I think that the, the way that that roster was shaped in 1992 was so different than the way it would be shaped now. Um, that team was so center-heavy. Charles Barkley, David Robinson, you know, so many post players, so many guys that made their living in the paint, whereas today the game is played so heavily outside of the paint. Um, so my big concern for the 1992 Dream Team would be how would Robinson and, and Ewing and the big post players, how would they guard the smaller players on an island when they were switched onto them in the pick and roll? And I think the answer would be that they wouldn't. So then they would have to go smaller. The teams would have to go smaller. And then you're looking at lineups, which would play guys like Larry Bird and Chris Mullen with Jordan and you know Drexler and all those guys. And I think that those teams would just be a little older and a little less athletic. So I think that today's dream team would beat the 1992 dream team. But I think that Michael Jordan would still be the best player in today's NBA. You know, I've been open about that and vocal about that. Uh, I think Michael would still be the king of today's NBA, even though I think today's players as a whole are a little bit more advanced to win a 5-on-5 game against the players of yesteryear. I've been asked by a couple of people why I don't talk a little more about Nichols Athletics. Um, the question is, uh, or the answer simply to that is, is there's not a whole lot going on, but I do plan to have Coach Tim Rebo on uh, in coming shows, plan to have Austin Clouds, the boys basketball coach, on in coming shows. Uh, I could get Doobie on at any time. I could get Seth Thibodeau on at any time. But the question <clears throat> is, can Nichols football be as effective without without Chase 4K in 2020? Um, I'm going to answer this in a specific type of way that is not intended to minimize the player that Chase 4K is, and it's not going to minimize the impacts that he's had on the program. Um, but I don't think Nichols is going to be as strong of a team in the upcoming season, but I don't think it has anything to do with Chase 4K. And it has, no, again, it has nothing to do with his impacts. I think he's a tremendous player. I've gone on record many times to say I think he's the best football player in the history of the program. And I think that the day he signed with Nichols football, that entire program changed. I just want to see how they fare on the offensive and defensive lines before I'm ready to say that next year's team is going to be as effective as the previous three teams have been. Um, so my answer would be that they're probably not going to be quite as good next season, but I do think that they're going to still be very competitive and be at the upper half of the Southland Conference. Um, and I don't think Lindsey Scott's going to be you know, a bad player. I think he's going to carry the, the line forward and he's going to do good things for Nichols football. I think he's you know, a tremendous talent. He's got a lot of heart. He's very experienced. Um, so I think that Nichols may take a half of a step backward, not big, you know, maybe – if they were used to going nine and three, maybe they'll be seven and five, eight and four, um, instead of maybe being that front line team that's in the postseason. Maybe they'll be on the back end of the postseason, maybe on the bubble kind of thing. But I don't think quarterback play is going to have anything to do with that because I think that um, they're in good hands with Lindsey Scott. Next question and last question: You've had Adrian Morgan on today. If you were a competitive eater, what event would you be best at? Again. <laughs> I'm 5'9", I'm 170 pounds. Um, 
so not very many um, it would have to be an event where we're not eating a whole lot of quantity um, I could tell you know what I actually do have an answer to this and my friends would maybe attest to this there are two things that I eat a lot of and that I could eat a lot of in a very short amount of time um, candy I could eat Jolly Ranchers, Jelly Beans, um, Gobstoppers, Starburst. I could eat a ton of that. If it wouldn't be for the fact that I'd get diabetes, um, I, I could live on that stuff. Um, and then another one would be, I could eat the heck out of some sunflower seeds now. Anybody who's ever worked with me um, could tell you that I'll bring a, a big bag to work to start the day. By the time I get back home from you know the, the the ride home or whatever it may be or the entire day at the office that entire bag will be gone so much so that at times my gums and lips and mouth and tongue and everything are raw um so i, I think i could hold my own in a competitive sunflower seed eating competition but again we thank you so very much for the commentary and the comments and the questions uh send them through just at gmail.com casey underscore just on my twitter or find me on social media we want to thank Macy Bro. We want to thank Adrian Morgan. We want to thank all of you guys for listening. Our numbers have been great. Our numbers have been growing every show. Um, if you're listening to us on LaFougeGazette.com or on Podbean, um, go find us on the Apple Store. Type Casey's Corner into the into iTunes. You'll find us. Subscribe. And then after that, your work is done. Every time we release a show, you'll get an update sent straight to your phone. You won't have to do any work at all. We'll bring all the content to you. That's the easiest way to find us. And if you don't mind, once you subscribe, give us a, a five-star rating. If you don't think we're a five-star show, you think we're a, a two-star show or a one-star show, go ahead and do that too. Um, but leave us commentary. Let us know what you want. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want to see, because we're a little more disconnected with the world than what we've ever been before. So it's hard for me to um, know what it is that you guys want to hear without you physically telling me what you want to hear. Uh, but I know that we've got some exciting guests lined up in the future. We're going to have a lot of local athletic legends, a lot of regional, you know, athletic figures. And we're working to try to do some things. Got a couple of Pelicans on. And, you know, we're going to try to grow this thing as best as we can. But we need to hear your feedback on some of the things that you liked, some of the things you didn't like, some of the things that you want to see going forward um, as we're going to do this thing together. I could be the voice, but I want you guys to be sort of the, the boss of the show, driving the content and telling me where to go. So thanks to our guests, thanks to our listeners, thanks to everybody in the state of Louisiana, y'all. We have made so much progress, so much progress. We have flattened our curve tremendously. We're in phase one now. We've got to continue to push, continue to fight, continue to stay healthy and stay safe. And I know that we're going to do that. I know we're going to rebound. I know we're going to recover. And I know that our fall is going to be the fall of years past where we're looking back and recapping sports and talking to athletes. And the reason why we started this podcast when we did was so that we could kind of get through the summer and figure out what worked and what didn't work so that we can launch full steam ahead in the fall. And I know that fall is going to be bright and it's going to be bright because of the efforts that you guys are doing. So keep up the good work. I'm out. Thanks to everybody. Uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an episode. Keep it on LaFoucheGazette.com. Find this on iTunes. Hit subscribe. We'll do all the work for you. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great week. See the race like the street. If you don't know, you better find out the